Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Archives Podcast, Episode 1, The Beginning, Pre-European Settlement, Indigenous Peoples, and Beyond. I'm your host, Dan Schmaltz, and this is the first episode of my new local history podcast. If you haven't already listened to the prologue, I would highly recommend checking it out first before diving into this podcast. It gives you some background as to who I am and why I'm doing a podcast on the history of Cambridge, Ontario. Often when discussing local history in North America, the starting point is often European settlers arrive, they encounter indigenous peoples, often with disastrous results, and eventually build new settlements. In the first episode of the Archives Guy podcast, we'll discuss an area of local history often overlooked, pre-European settlement. Many North American communities have a rich pre-settlement history, and southern Ontario is no different. This area has been inhabited for thousands of years, dating back to the last Great Ice Age. The land around what became known as the Grand River was fertile for hunting as well as ideal for farming. Indigenous history is an underdeveloped area of local history that we'll attempt to shed some light on today. We have evidence of Indigenous settlements dating back two to 3,000 years. In 1950, a local farmer found a butterfly stone on his farm. It was dated to be thousands of years old. Other farms found arrowheads and bits of flint. The skeleton of an Indigenous woman was found buried beside a home in the 1950s in the area of Highway 24 leading out of Cambridge. Other Indigenous graves have been located throughout the area. In the 1980s, an archaeological dig uncovered the remains of 10 longhouses near Myers Road in Cambridge. Many of these settlements were used as hunting and camping sites and were not full-time settlements. Tribes would come to this area in the fall, spend the winter taking advantage of the great hunting and fishing, and returning to other areas of settlement. There's also later evidence suggesting that they were eventually used as more full-time settlements. When you talk about Indigenous groups, you need to remember one thing. We're not talking about a single group. There were many different tribes with their own unique cultures and identities. In the area around the Grand River, there were several different Indigenous tribes. They were often at war with one another. Like any other conflict between human beings, they were often brutal and cruel with atrocities committed on both sides. One of these tribes was the Atawandarak, or neutral people. They were a large and powerful part of the Huron-Iroquois family. They were located in southern Ontario from Lake Erie to Georgian Bay from north to south, from the Detroit River area to Toronto from west to east. They controlled quarries uh, from which flint was used to make arrowheads. They were called the neutral people because other tribes such as the Iroquois and Hurons, who were almost always at war with one another, needed flint to sustain their fight against the other so they tried to remain neutral with the Atawandarak. This would not last as the Iroquois would eventually all but eliminate the Huron and neutral peoples. The Iroquois Confederacy was a group of six nations that lived in Upper New York State and Southern Ontario. The nations who made up this group were the Mohawk, Oneida, Onadaga, Cayuga, Seneca, and Tuscarora. These tribes have a long and rich history, became more prominent in this area after the American Revolution. The Six Nations supported supported the British cause during the Revolution, and they paid for their alliance with the loss of much of their land to the American colonists. It was this loss of territory that drove many of the Six Nations to move to Upper Canada. As a recompense for their losses, the British Crown issued the Haldeman Proclamation. In October of 1784... 
the governor of Quebec, Frederick Haldeman, issued a proclamation granting the Six Nations land six miles wide on both sides of the Grand River. Earlier in 1784 was the purchase uh, by the British of the same land from the Mississauga tribe after it was selected by the Mohawk chief Joseph Brandt. Brandt was a Mohawk from the Ohio County along with the Cayuga River and was educated in the American colonies. He would eventually become uh, leader not just of the Mohawk but the Six Nations due to his education, abilities, and connections made with the British from his time being educated in the colonies. He has been called the most famous indigenous man of his age due to his familiarity to the British and the Americans. From there, Six Nations would begin selling their land to European settlers only until the reserve south of Brantford remained. Originally, the Crown believed that an agreement was made that would prevent the Six Nations from leasing and selling land to anyone with the government. However, this it was countered. Uh, it was countered by the uh, Six Nations that that the Crown had granted the land with the same freehold land tenure enjoyed by European settlers, so the Six Nations could sell or lease to anyone they pleased. It must be acknowledged that there is somewhat controversy in any matters of dealing with Indigenous history in the area, and this area is no different. Uh, there is some dispute over these land sales as to who owned what and who had the right to sell land. I don't want to get into much of this controversial aspects of history, but I do want to acknowledge that it is not a simple topic to tackle. Next episode, we will begin exploring the early European settlement of the area that would eventually become Cambridge. We'll start looking at the creation of the settlement of Dumfries, would be would become a land known as Gold, and two men from totally different backgrounds who would uh, take a wilderness and create a thriving Scottish settlement. Each week, I want to try and recommend a local history book or resource for you to check out. This week, I want to recommend a book that was a huge resource for me researching pre-European local history. Andrew Taylor's Our Todays and Yesterdays. This was an update of his 1952 book, Our Yesterdays. It was updated for Canada's centennial in 1967 and details the history of North Dumfries from before European settlement until the 1950s. It is, of course, available at the City of Cambridge Archives, as well as local libraries, and on Amazon if you are interested in purchasing. I'd like to eventually come back and do a little more research on, uh, or another episode on Indigenous history, as I would like to continue my research and just continue to learn more and more and be able to share it with you. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to learn more, please feel free to give the Archives Guide podcast a follow Right now it's on Podbeam and hopefully soon Spotify as well. You can also follow the Archives Guy podcast on both Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for joining me in this first episode of the podcast. I hope you enjoyed exploring the early history of our area and continue to join me as we journey through our local history and explore our story. Thank you and we'll see you next time.